In your Bibles, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, we're looking at verses 25 through 30 this morning. Philippians chapter 2, 25 through 30. According to the Oxford Dictionary, a hero is defined as a person who is admired or idealized for courage, outstanding achievements, or noble qualities. Now in our world, the hero terminology has generally been reserved for well-known acts of bravery, things we look at in the past that people have done. But as you know, in 2020 and 2021, things have been a little bit different. And that term hero has, has been redefined to also include the, the nurses and doctors and technicians who have done their jobs with great bravery and in many cases great, great sacrifice during the, the pandemic as they've served in hospitals and urgent care clinics and, and testing stations and, and things like that. What for a nurse or a doctor is a usual common act of duty has become an uncommon display of heroism in many cases. And we're grateful for that. Thank you if you have served in the, in the medical field during those last couple of years. Thank you for that. Something that is normally common becoming uncommon. Something that is normally an act of duty becoming a display of heroism. We see that today in Philippians 2, verses 25 through 30. We see an almost unrecognizable person, a nobody, a nothing in Philippians 2. Yet he displays the sacrifice and service of the mind of Christ, which is a topic we've covered a lot recently because of chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Let's read together verses 25 through verse 30. Paul says, Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that he, ye had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him therefore the more carefully, that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation. Because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me. Now we all know who the Apostle Paul is, Right? great statesman of the faith, a great apostle, a writer of many books of scripture. He's known throughout Europe. He preaches and he draws huge crowds. We all even know who Timothy is. We talked about him yesterday. Maybe not as well known as Paul, but still known in some ways kind of the heir apparent of Paul. He's got, Timothy's got two books of scripture, not that he wrote, but that were, were written to him with his name on them. He was I guess by association famous because he traveled with Paul's teaching team. But in Philippians 2 verses 25 through 30, we see Epaphroditus. Who? Exactly. I can't even hardly say his name, much less try to spell it. Who is this guy? Not, not exactly the hero of scripture that you, you easily recognize from the pages of scripture and someone we talk about 
all the time. Yet Epaphroditus is a hero of the faith. He's a man of great sacrifice and a man of great service, as we will see. And most importantly, he's an example that points us to the example of Christ. We're going to look at three things today. First of all, Epaphroditus as a person. Epaphroditus as a person. He is only mentioned here in Philippians. This passage 25 through 30, and then also if you flip over to chapter 4, verse 18, Paul says, I have all and abound, I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you. Epaphroditus was the one who took the gift from the Philippian church to Paul in Rome. So we don't know much about Epaphroditus and his, his background, but his name may tell us a little bit about him. His name may give us a little bit of a, a background story about him because the name Epaphroditus was actually a common name at that time period. And it meant favorite of Aphrodite. Favorite of Aphrodite. Now, Aphrodite was the Greek goddess of love. So Epaphroditus' parents named him after the Greek goddess of love, Aphrodite, which could mean what? Could mean that he was the son of parents who were pagan idol worshipers, having named their kids after this. I don't think this is, a, this is an option for our fourth child if it's a boy. No, I don't think it is. Well, not just because of the, the false god thing, but because of the name Epaphroditus. But you see here how it could be that he was the son of idol worshipers and maybe even worshipped himself as an idol worshiper, probably raised in that environment. Yet, if you look at verse 25, Paul calls Epaphroditus my brother. My brother. What does that term mean when we see it in the New Testament? It means that Epaphroditus has believed in Christ in the same way that Paul has believed in Christ, and therefore they have a common relationship with each other because of Christ. They are brothers. You know, that's a great term for the church today, brothers and sisters in Christ, the family of God. What an example, though, that that is of the grace of God at work in Epaphroditus' life. Because here he is, quite possibly, the son of pagan idol worshipers who himself may have lived for years in idol worship. Yet Paul calls him a brother, meaning that somewhere along the line, God reached down into Epaphroditus' life, maybe through the work of the Apostle Paul, in Philippi, maybe through the faithfulness of the Philippian church, somehow, some way, God reached down into Epaphroditus' life and he saved Epaphroditus out of that. You think of the, the, the testimony that Epaphroditus would have had. Hey, you know what? I was a pagan idol worshiper, named after a false god, and yet the true God, the one true God, reached down and saved me. What a testimony of God's grace. You know what that does for us? It shows us that God can save anybody. God can save anybody. Think about it for a second. Paul was a Jew. God reached down and saved him, Damascus Road, Acts 9. Timothy, we learned last week, was a half Jew, half Greek. God saved him and used him for ministry. Epaphroditus, full Gentile. God reaches down and snatches him from idol worship to serve and to 
to, to follow the one true God. God can save anyone, and he can save any one of us. That should be an encouragement to us. It does not matter what your background is. It does not matter what sins you have committed in your past. God can save. He does save, and he is still saving people. Say, well, I've never, I've, I've never understood that before. I've never understood the gospel. Today the day is the day of salvation, the Bible says. You say, I've never, I've never understood that. I've never placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Today is the day of salvation. Would you turn to Christ? If God can save Epaphroditus, he can save you. If God can save me, he can save you. What an example of God's grace we see here in Epaphroditus' life. We have to ask a question regarding Epaphroditus. Why does Paul mention him? Why all of a sudden here in verse 25 does Epaphroditus jump onto the scene? Why him? Why now? Well, Paul mentions him because Paul is sending him back to Philippi, to the Philippian church, with this letter. Here's the story as we kind of piece it together through the book of Philippians and through what we know of Paul's journeys. Here's the story. About 10 years prior, Paul had visited Philippi. We saw that in Acts 16. We've referenced that several times. So about 10 years prior to the writing of this letter, Paul goes to Philippi. And as we know, God had done a great work in Philippi. The church there was strong. The church was growing, even though there was great persecution. And the church in Philippi wanted to be a blessing to Paul. They wanted to help him out in some way, but they didn't have the opportunity to do it because there was an 800-mile distance between Philippi and Rome. How do you help somebody, in, especially in that era, how do you help somebody 800 miles away? If, if you look at chapter 2, verse 30, it looks as if it's a negative, what Paul says here at the very end. He says, to supply your, being the Philippian churches, lack of service toward me. Meaning Epaphroditus was sent in order to supply your lack of service toward me. Sounds like a negative, doesn't it? Sounds like Paul's saying, you didn't serve me. You lacked in your service towards me. But it's not because of neglect that they lacked service. It was because of ability. How do you serve, how do you help somebody 800 miles away? So in order to overcome that, one way to overcome their inability to serve Paul was to send a gift with a person who then that person would stay and minister to the Apostle Paul as an ambassador from the Philippian church. It was one of the ways, and this is, this is astounding, because the church is thinking, hey, we're 800 miles away. How can we help? And they're thinking a little outside the box here. They say, let's send one of our own to him to be a blessing and a servant to Paul, to partner with him in the gospel, and let's send him a gift as well. The person that they send is Epaphroditus. You see that in chapter 4, verse 18, where it says Paul, or Epaphroditus brought the gift to Paul. Now, verse 27 here in Philippians 2, look at this. It says, for indeed he, being Epaphroditus, was sick nigh unto death. Somewhere on the journey, or maybe once he got to Rome, Epaphroditus got sick. He got really sick. He almost died. Now, it says that God had mercy on him, verse 27. God spared him, and Epaphroditus recovers. So now Paul is sending Epaphroditus back to the Philippian church. Maybe to Paul, that's the best way that, that Epaphroditus could serve him. Epaphroditus, I have a very important letter for you to take back to the church. Go take what you've learned here and take it back there to be an encouragement and a blessing to them. 
So Paul writes this section about Epaphroditus, these six verses, he writes them in order to commend Epaphroditus to the Philippian church. Because to many people in the Philippian church, maybe Epaphroditus' trip looked like a failure. He got sick, wasn't able to help as much as he could, and now he's coming back much sooner than he should have. So Paul builds him up, he commends Epaphroditus in these verses. He commends him as a good example of Christ-likeness. So that's kind of Epaphroditus' background. That's the story to how we get there. Let's look at, secondly, Epaphroditus as a minister. Epaphroditus as a minister. Now, he was a common person. Ordinary. Not much to him. A lot of scholars think that he didn't have a position in the church. He was just, just a person in the church. He wasn't an elder. He wasn't a leader. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't a teacher. He was just a faithful, common person. He was not well-known. He's not noted for any great skill. We don't see him in history. You know who he sounds like? Most of us. He sounds a lot like any of us. Not especially skilled, not especially known, not especially great. But what Epaphroditus had was Christ-like qualities that made him an example of faithfulness. Think about it. Just think practically for a second. If you were the Philippian church and you were sending a gift to Paul, who would you pick? Who would you trust to take a a gift on a perilous 800-mile journey to Rome, carrying a bag full of money, who would you trust? Who would you send? You would send somebody that had proven themselves faithful and trustworthy in the church for a while, don't you think? Secondly, who, who would you choose to send to minister to the Apostle Paul? We're talking about the Apostle Paul one of the most well-known figures maybe in the world at this point, a political prisoner of Rome. Who do you send as a church to minister and to help him? Well, you don't send a nitwit, right? You don't send somebody that doesn't care about anything. You send someone that has some spiritual maturity, probably. Someone who you know that can actually be a help to Paul and not somebody that Paul just has to drag along with him. And then this question, we're thinking practically about why Epaphroditus, who's available? Who in the Philippian church was available to go to, in essence, drop what they're doing and go and serve Paul for who knows how long? And and that question begs this question, and that's this. Was Epaphroditus available to go, or did he make himself available to go? Say, what do you mean? Was he available, sitting around doing nothing so he could go, or did he make himself available? There's two types of people in the world. There's those with a lot of time who have nothing to do. There's those also that have the right priorities. They have a lot to do, but they prioritize what is most important. And I guarantee that Epaphroditus was not sitting around doing nothing, therefore he was available to be chosen to go. He wouldn't have been picked if that was the case. He wouldn't have been chosen. He wouldn't have been seen as faithful and trustworthy if he was the one just sitting around with nothing to do. He was the one available. No, I think Epaphroditus had the right priorities in life, and he said, I'll go, and I will make myself available to go. You think about an Epaphroditus. Did he have to take time off work for an extended period? Did he have to pivot careers maybe? Because he knows God is calling me to do this at this time. I'm going to have to pivot careers, and if I ever do return to Philippi, we'll have to to take care of it then. 
I think there's a lesson here for us, and that's this. Note this. Opportunities for greater service come to those already serving. Don't miss that. Opportunities for greater service come to those already serving. God does not call the available, the one sitting around with nothing to do. He makes available the called. Understand that? God does not call the available. He makes available the ones he has called. And that's Epaphroditus. You know who else we saw that in? Timothy, last week. Timothy had a lot to do, but God made him available. And when Paul needed somebody, Timothy said, I'm ready. I'll go. That's part of my job of serving you and serving Christ. So we see it in Epaphroditus. We see it in Timothy as well. Note verse 25 here. He says, yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother. And then he calls him four other things here in verse 25. We mentioned brother already. He says, my brother. And then he also calls him companion in labor. My companion in labor is what he calls Epaphroditus. It means co-worker. It means that by working with Paul for the gospel, Epaphroditus had come alongside him and been a teammate, a co-worker with him. He had striven side by side for the faith of the gospel, chapter 1, verse 27. And in doing that, Epaphroditus had accomplished what he was sent there to do by the Philippian church. So he's a companion in labor, Paul says. Next, we see him in verse 25. He's called brother, companion in labor, and fellow soldier. Fellow soldier. They were fellow soldiers together in the same battle in Rome for the faith of the gospel. But I think there's something else here as well. Paul calls him fellow soldier when he's sending him back to Philippi. He's saying, well, we're not going to be in the same foxhole anymore. We're going to be on different battlefields, but you're still my fellow soldier. You're still striving with me for the faith of the gospel, though your battlefield will be a different place when you get back to Philippi. And I think there's a lesson there too, because there there are Christians all over Crawford County, all over the world, who are fellow soldiers with us. Their battlefield may be a different neighborhood, a different employer, a different school, a different church, but they are fellow soldiers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do that with our missionaries that we send out into the world and support them. They're fellow soldiers with us. Different battlefield, yes, but same battle for the souls of people. Paul hinted at that in, in chapter 1, verse 18, when he said, hey, if people, if they're preaching the gospel, rejoice, because they are fellow soldiers with us. Different battlefield, maybe even a slight different method that they use on that battlefield. But if they're preaching the gospel, rejoice. They're on our team. They're a fellow soldier. Then he calls him a messenger, verse 25. He says, your messenger. The word for messenger is the Greek word apostolon, which is the same word we get apostle from. Now, Epaphroditus is not an apostle in the official sense, like one of the apostles, but he was one sent, and that's what the word apostle means. He was sent out to accomplish a certain task. So the Philippian church sent him from there to Paul. And so he's an apostle, he's a messenger in that sense of the word. And then look what Paul says at the end of verse 25. He says, he that ministered to my wants. And I think Paul's use of the word minister is helpful for us. He doesn't call Epaphroditus a minister in the official sense, but says that he ministered. There's a difference. 
I think it's important for us in the church. I think we need to get away from using the term minister as a position and use it as a function of everybody. I think it was last week, Bryson was reading a book about, he loves to read, he read anything. He was reading a book about Queen Elizabeth. And he comes into my room, he says, Daddy, this guy must have been the oldest pastor ever. And in the book about Queen Elizabeth, it was talking about Winston Churchill being, at 94 years old, prime minister. And Bryson says, he must be the oldest pastor ever. I was like, why do you say that? Because he's a minister. Like, well, okay, now we got to talk about history a little bit. But the, the concept of minister means an official position. And Paul says, this man ministered. Well, when people, when, as a pastor, people call me a minister, it always kind of throws me a little bit because it sounds too formal. It's kind of like reverend. Reverend. The reverend is in the house. Stop that. Because minister is not just a pastor. Ministering is everyone. Everyone is to be a minister. As a pastor, I don't minister any more so than anyone else. We all do it together. We minister together. We minister to one another. Uh, John Pinter mentioned this in Sunday school this morning. Taking a meal, taking some hot soup to someone, sending a text of encouragement. It could be, could be teaching a class. could be changing a flat tire. It could be all the little things that Anita does for this church through the week that go unnoticed. Today in uh, our growth group time, as, as growth groups is set up, there's six groups, but five of them will be meeting together while one group is working over in the FLC to set up and clean up for the dinner. Why? Because we want to foster that mentality of ministering to the others so that other people can meet and, and enjoy time of fellowship together while one group is ministering, while one group is serving the rest. I think that'll be helpful. My point here is to make minister a verb, not a noun. Make minister something that we do, not a position that we hold. And we see that here in Epaphroditus. Paul says, he ministered to my wants. How did Epaphroditus minister? Look at this. Look at the spirit in which Epaphroditus ministered. Verse 26. He longed after you all and was full of heaviness, meaning he was distressed, because he had heard that he had been sick. How did Epaphroditus minister? First of all, he ministered without or with regard for others. He ministered with regard for others. When he got sick, somehow word got back to the Philippians. And we don't really know how. Maybe somebody in, in transit, somebody that went from Rome back there. We don't know how they found out that, that Epaphroditus was sick, but they did. And verse 26 says that Epaphroditus was full of heaviness. He was distressed, not for himself in his sickness, but for whom? It says he was distressed for those who would worry about him because they heard he was sick. Well, there's a spin on things. He had no regard for himself. He had regard for others. He was less concerned for his own sickness than he was for how people would be affected upon hearing of his sickness because he knew the people in Philippi would worry about him. They, that shows their relationship with Epaphroditus. 
They would worry that he was sick and he wasn't doing well. He didn't want the news of his sickness to, to bring them sorrow or to discourage them. That's insight into how he served as a minister. And then secondly, look at verse 27 and verse 30. Verse 27 said, he, for indeed he was sick nigh unto death. Verse 30, because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his own life. So he served with regard for others and without regard for himself. That's quite an example. Now, Scripture does not tell us what the sickness was or how he got sick. We, we don't know that. But it does tell us that it was because of the work of Christ. Verse 30, because of the work of Christ, something that he was doing for Christ caused him to get sick almost to the point of death. His work for Christ put him in a perilous situation. Here's a man, what an example, who because of his devotion to serve Christ, almost died. Because of being a minister of Christ, he almost died. You know what that sounds like? It sounds a lot like the Apostle Paul. I, lo I love these words that Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 15. It's, it's an, a challenge to me. It's a challenge to all of us. He said to, to the Corinthians, I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. That's not regard for yourself. It's regard for others. You know who else Epaphroditus sounds like? Christ. Sounds a lot like Christ. Not regarding his own life. Jesus said, John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Here's Epaphroditus, a living example of the love of Christ. But that brings up another question, especially in the pandemic that we're in and have been in for the last couple of years. What a time for a guy to get sick. No? What a time to get sick. Of all that, you ever said that to yourself? Because you got something coming up, some big project, some big interview, whatever it is, and you get sick. Oh, of all the times for me to get sick, here's somebody trying to do something for God, do something good for the kingdom of God, and he gets waylaid by this sickness that almost kills him. We have to ask ourselves, because we struggle with this sometimes, why sickness at inopportune times? Why anything that we struggle with? Why the death of a loved one? Why abnormalities in children? Why all this? That would happen to us. God loves us, right? But why are all these things happening to me? Well, the obvious answer is that that sin and death and disease and, and sickness is a result of the curse of sin. And that's true. That's true. But if we stop there, it sounds hopeless, does it not? Well, what's happening is because of the curse of sin. Good luck. We can't stop there. But there's more to the answer than that because though sickness and death and difficult times are challenging for us, God has not been cursed by sin. God can redeem those things for our good and his glory. And you know that's exactly what he does? It's exactly what God does. His sovereign power redeems what sin has caused and uses it for his glory and for our good. Haven't we seen that in our lives? 
many times. About seven years ago, I, I preached at a camp in Virginia. And at breakfast one morning, we, we were sitting at a table with some of the campers, and I commented, it was probably, I don't know, an eight, nine-year-old girl. She was sitting there, and she's eating a banana. And I just made a comment that, well, your banana has a lot of black spots on it. You know, a banana gets old, and it gets the black spots on it. And I just said, hey, your banana has a lot of black spots. Not meaning anything. And she said to me, I've never forgotten this. I don't know why I remember this, because it's so random. But she says to me, oh, that's okay. The dark spots are the sweet parts. Whoa, brilliance. I don't even know if that's true, honestly. She could have been just lying to me. But the principle is true in our lives, isn't it? The dark spots are often the sweet parts. The dark and gloomy times of life are the sweet parts because it's then that we see the grace and strength of God's hand at work. We see God through those dark spots draw us closer to himself and closer to each other. John was talking about this in Sunday school too. I I love it when things overlap like this. The dark times in our life, the the, the gloomy times of our life are times when, when we can sing what we sang earlier. You are always good. You are only good. You are always good. To me, though my eyes can't see, help my heart believe, you are always only good. Is that true? You bet it is. So why? Why the difficult times then? 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says, that in our weakness, God's grace and strength is made perfect. If there were no difficult times, we would get pretty proud like we do sometimes. I've got it. I can handle it. I don't need him. But it's in our weakness that God's grace and his strength is made perfect. There's a good example of this right here in Philippians 2 and verse 17. Paul says, Yea, and if I be offered on the sacrifice of your faith, meaning if I be poured out and die a martyr's death, rejoice. Because even through that, God's work is being done. Rejoice with me, because God's work is being done. Now, I want to be careful here, because Paul is not advocating in that for the lack of any grief, the absence of any type of grief, and where we just kind of adopt this, oh, just grin and bear it mentality, let nothing touch you, just be tough. No, he's not advocating for that. And the reason I know that is this. Look at verse 27. It says, For indeed he, Epaphroditus, was sick nigh unto death, But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Paul says he is glad that God spared Epaphroditus, or else he would have had sorrow on top of sorrow. Paul would have grieved if Epaphroditus had died. So grief is appropriate in those situations. Yet, 1 Thessalonians 4.13, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. We have hope in Christ. That's the difference. We realize that there is a higher purpose and there is a noble calling in our life to the difficulties that come into our life. I want to show you a couple instances of this in Scripture, places where it's just crystal clear. In John chapter 9, 
In John chapter 9, Jesus is, is working there with the people, and, and they bring a man to him who's been blind from birth. And they ask him, or they're kind of talking, you know, hey, has this man, is it because of the, the sins of his parents that this man is, is, has been blind or was born blind? And Jesus says, no, no. Why then would God allow someone to be born blind? Jesus says this. This is, this is profound. He says he was born blind that the works of God should be revealed in him. There was a purpose through it. And the purpose was so that the work of God could be made known in him. Why do difficulties come into our lives? So that the work of God would be revealed in us. A couple chapters later in John 11, Lazarus dies. They tell Jesus, remember, but he doesn't go right away. He stays where he is for a couple days, and they come and they say, Jesus says he's died. And people are very upset. But why did Lazarus die before Jesus got there? He answers the question. He says, Lazarus has died. I've allowed Lazarus to die so that you may believe in me. There's a purpose behind it. There's a reason behind it, that people would come to belief in Christ through that challenging time in Mary and Martha's life. Then there's this one in, in Exodus, going to the Old Testament. Exodus 4, verses 10 through 12, God is calling Moses to lead the people out of Egypt. And he calls Moses, and Moses gives him those five excuses, remember? One of them is, I can't speak. I don't speak very well. Now, did Moses have an abnormality in his speech, maybe a speech impediment? Could be. But I don't think it was to be used as an excuse. Why? Because God says this. Exodus 4, 10 through 12. He says, Who has made, made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. So God, in essence, is saying, I have made you exactly how I want you. I've brought exactly what should be in your life, and I will be with you through those things. God makes us a certain way. He allows things to happen a certain way so that the works of God would be revealed in us. There's another verse in Ecclesiastes 7.14. Ecclesiastes, that's not a place we go to very often, is it? Listen to these words. He says, In the day of prosperity, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, consider. Surely God has appointed the one as well as the other. Why? So that the works of God can be revealed in us. The sickness, the death, the abnormalities are a result of sin. Yes, they are. But God is more powerful than sin and can redeem those things for his glory and for our good. Verse 27 in Philippians 2 says that God had mercy on Epaphroditus. God chose to spare Epaphroditus in this illness, which also teaches us something else, that going into and coming out of sickness is God's prerogative. He had mercy on Epaphroditus. So what's my, what's my responsibility in the difficult times? It's chapter 1, verse 20. Would you look at the end of that verse? 
chapter 1 of Philippians, verse 20. Here's our responsibility. God's prerogative is coming into and going out of problems. And what, what time we do, here's our responsibility. This attitude that Paul has, the last two lines, it says, Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Christ magnified. That's my responsibility as the Christian. Christ magnified. So that we can sing as the psalmist did, and we're going to close out our service with this song. He says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And that's true. We look back and we say, even, even difficult times, even the dark spots by God's grace are the sweet parts of life. I couldn't tell you that girl's name if I tried. I don't know who she was, but she was right. Even the dark spots are the sweet parts. So we've seen Epaphroditus as a person, as a minister. Let's look lastly here as an example. Verse 29, receive him, Paul says, receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation. Receive him with gladness, he says. Remember, Epaphroditus got sick. He could have been looked at by the Philippians as a failure. He went there, got sick, wasn't able to serve much. Now Paul's sending him back. Our whole thing went up in smoke. It's all terrible. No, Paul says he did his job and he did it well. He served with valor. He did not fail. And Paul even says at the end of verse 29, hold such in reputation. What does that mean? It means to honor people. He says, hold such, hold people like this in honor. Honor people like Epaphroditus who minister so well. And that, that brings up a question for me in my own life. Do we honor people like we should? Have I honored people in my life who have made an impact on me by their service. You know, we often do honor people. The problem is we do it at their own funeral. Isn't that true? We say all these great and nice flowing things about all they meant to us, but they've already passed on. When should we do it? Paul says, honor people like this. We do it now. Send that text, write that card, make that phone call to honor the people in our lives who have served so well, like Epaphroditus did. Christmas morning, we were about to open our gifts, and, and Elijah says, I wrote everybody a card. And he gives us this card, front and back. This is, this is wonderful. On the front side, it says, boss is a post to read. And he gave it to me. I was so glad. <laughs> Anyways. He wrote all our names and a heart. And on the backside, he says this, I love you, Mommy and Daddy and Gideon and Bryson, and I love my family. And then this line, I am a gift to my family. <laughs> I love it. Now, it might be a little self-centered, yes, but he's got something right, and that is that people are a gift to us from God. Right? Six-year-old figured something out, that people are a gift. Honor people in our lives. Paul says, honor people like this. Honor people who serve well. Epaphroditus is an example to others because he is an example of Christ. We see the mind of Christ in Epaphroditus. We see the selflessness, the service, the sacrifice of Christ in Epaphroditus. 
in all of chapter 2, really, we've kind of been hitting this same theme in some way from a different angle. Because 2, 5 through 8, we see the mind of Christ is to be our mind. And then in 2, verses 1 through 4 and 12 through 16, it kind of shows us what the mind of Christ looks like lived out in our lives. And then 2, verses 17 through 30, we have these three living examples of the mind of Christ. Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus all show us that the mind of Christ can be lived out in the believer. Imperfectly, yes, imperfectly. But successfully, yes, successfully. That's what they show us. It's a great example. Chapter 2 is a, is a powerful passage of Scripture where we see that we are to be like Christ. And we are to be an example to others of what Christ is like. Americans of the, of the World War II era are often referred to as the greatest generation, right? And the vast majority of them sacrificed in some way, and they served their country greatly, some with the ultimate sacrifice of their life. And we all probably have somebody in our family that, that served in some way through that era. But the vast majority of those people of that generation are unnamed, unnoticed in history. Didn't get a plaque, didn't get much recognition. They were common people who served their country uncommonly. Common, ordinary people. To commemorate the sacrifice of those serving in World War II, the conductor of the Cincinnati Symphony Orchestra, his name was Eugene Goosens, asked the famous composer Aaron Copland to write a musical piece in tribute to those serving in World War II. And in 1942, Aaron Copland wrote that piece, and it was performed by the Cincinnati Orchestra. And he titled it this. Go look it up. It's probably a song you've, you've heard or would recognize. He appropriately titled it, Fanfare for the Common Man. Fanfare for the Common Man. You know who that is? Epaphroditus. The common man who served Christ and his church uncommonly. And I think Epaphroditus is all of us. Nothing too notable, nothing too profound, nothing much to recognize, and yet we all as common as we are, have the opportunity to influence our corner of the world for the cause of Christ. It's common people like Epaphroditus, they come, they go every day. But people who serve like Epaphroditus are few and far between. So my challenge to us today is this, be uncommonly common in your ministering for the cause of Christ. Let's pray.